Blog Talk Radio. The championship title changed hands twice at the end of that event, and it took absolutely everybody to buy it. Welcome to the Hardwood Huddle. My name is Randy Zillian. Along with me, as always, my compadre. He is the ruler of the force. He's taught Yoda everything he knows. He's fresh off of trick-or-treating. That's Bill Ingram. Bill, how are you today, my friend? <laughs> Thank God for trick-or-treating because watching my Houston Astros crash and burn in the clutch and then Garrett Cole basically bidding a fond farewell to the city, the best pitcher in baseball uh, might have plunged me into a deep, dark depression. But Halloween came along just in time. Uh, Jack Skellington <laughs> and Charlie Brown and, and of course, trick-or-treating for an hour and a half last night with my daughter. Everything worked out in the end. And, yes, and you you broke the record of most Reese's peanut butter cups eaten in one evening last night. And um, <laughs> I got to say that uh, I got to say – Halloween is done, Thanksgiving, then Christmas, and that's when the NBA season really starts is on Christmas. So, for sure. That being said, because yeah. let's face it, what happens season, in November, <laughs> the storyline, not to interrupt you, but the storylines in October are always interesting. Uh, oh, the Suns, they're going to make the playoffs. They're 2 0. Uh, mm, maybe not. Yeah. <laughs> like some of the trends that happen early. Although the Kings might go 0-82, that one might be okay. But the rest of these Clippers are in trouble. Oh, Lakers are going to, like, talk to me at Christmas. That's always my answer. Because at Christmas, that's how you know things are going to look. No, but at that point, too, you almost want to say at this point of year, break out the magic. (laughs) That's what you always want to say around this point of year. So one guy that we never always have to – we never say have to break them out until it's usually around the playoff time. And that's our subject of today's show, Greg Charles Popovich, ladies and gentlemen. The, Popovich, of course, is the most winning NBA head coach during the regular season and playoffs, surpassed Lenny Wilkins and Don Nelson last year. And uh, a guy that you have become very familiar with over the, over the years, that's pop. And, uh, you know, I think this is one of those things that after we discussed last week, we discussed, uh, here comes our weekly uh, Robert Ori mention. We're going to talk about <laughs> Robert Ori. 
pop is the calculated mastermind manipulator who can win you a championship on a drop of a dime. And that's, I think, the perfect reason why he is the perfect uh, topic for this week's show. Well, he is, and because the, there's always the debates, you know, who's the who's the best coach in the history of the NBA, who's the best player, blah blah blah. And there, there's not a like absolute concrete answer ever to any of those goat questions. Greatest player? Well, what year are we talking about? What era are we talking about? There are always asterisks that have to be included. But in this category, I really don't think there's an asterisk. You mentioned him passing Don Nelson and Luddy Wilkins. Look at how many games those guys lost. Like <laughs> no, seriously. has just doesn't lose. Like since their his first what fourteen games with the Spurs, they just haven't been a team that loses. So well, yeah, uh, the way that he's yeah, and done you say it, that too. Yeah, and you say that too. I'm sorry. Multiple, for, 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 for multiple, multiple talents. No, go ahead. And I'm sorry. I was say, I'm sorry for cutting you off, but here's the other part of it too. Like the NFL with the Patriots and Bill Belichick you're able to have coaches. You're able to have the coaches pretty much. If you're an assistant, assistant coach, you're, you're almost guaranteeing yourself at least a shot at a head coaching gig in the NBA if you're a pop assistant coach. Yeah, well, anybody involved, and let's just be honest, pop pretty much, he's the head coach, but he, R.C. Buford pretty much lets him run the you know personnel and everything. But anyone who's been involved in the Spurs organization for any length of time, uh, you look at Dennis Lindsay in Utah, you look at, um, uh, and his name is just Dell Demps, who was the general manager in New Orleans. You look at, uh, I mean, coaches across the league, but Milwaukee Bucks have uh, Bud up there. And, you know, you have the influence of the Spurs. Every team, well, not every team, some teams are the Sacramento Kings, but many teams would love to find a way <laughs> to replicate, even in some small degree, the lightning in a bottle that the Spurs have captured during Popovich's tenure. And the funny thing is you would think that a lot of these NBA head coaches had great playing careers and uh, accolades mm-hmm. crazy for their days of playing, and not Pop. You know, Pop played in high school down in uh, Merrillville, Indiana, and he played at, at Air Force and then he, um, three years later, he found himself coaching as an assistant coach at Air Force, and then moving into uh, Panama Pitzer, and he was an assistant coach out in Kansas, back to Panama Pitzer again, and got his first NBA break as an assistant coach with San Antonio back in 1988, and he was there until 1992, and then found himself as an assistant with the Warriors up until 90, 1994, and then found himself yet again in a very uh, interesting situation on how he got his opportunity with the Spurs. And I'll let Mr. Bill tell that story. Well, yeah, that's it. Because uh, he was not expected to be the head coach. He stepped in, uh, in, in the 98, 99 season, which we have talked about at length because that was the year of Tim Duncan when Dominique Wilkins at the very end of his career was the dominant player after uh, David Robinson went down and missed uh, most of an entire season and wound up with the Spurs getting the number one lottery pick. They draft – I wonder if this is what the Warriors are going to do this year. They draft Tim Duncan number <laughs> one, get David Robinson back fully healthy, and 
then they, you know, you look at them on paper and everybody thought this team is going to dominate, but they didn't. They stumbled out of the gate. They were six and eight. Uh, that last game, they got just destroyed by the Utah Jazz. And their next game was in Houston against Olajuwon era, still a very good Rockets team. And uh, Spurs management uh, was going to fire him. Uh, and they basically said if, if they don't win the next game, he's going to get fired. Well, Avery Johnson, who was the little general, the point guard of that team at the time, called a players-only meeting, and the Spurs proceeded to go out and win the game in Houston and go on a massive win streak, and Popovich's career uh, was saved, and also the long-term history of the Spurs, as it turned out. And he's been here ever since, and what came with him besides being able to keep his job and having guys like Avery Johnson backing him came uh, an astounding five NBA championships. And we can break down every single one of them if you want to, but listen to this resume. Tell me this doesn't have Hall of Fame written all over it. Five NBA championships, 1999, 2003, 2005, 2007, and 2014. Three-time NBA coach of the year, 2003, 2012, 2014. And has coached four All-Star teams in 2005, 2011, 2013, and 2016. So let's talk about it. I know we broke down a little bit of the San Antonio Spurs versus New York Knicks NBA Finals back in 1999, but let's let's talk about the, some of the, the trials and tribulations Pop had to go with. Managing guys like Sean Elliott, Tim Duncan, and David Robinson when Tim first got there, what do you remember most about – Pop's demeanor, especially around that point in time, having to sort of blend the egos. Sean Elliott had an ego, even though he battled health problems. You had a guy like David Robinson, who had accomplished so much for coming off an injury, and a rookie standout like Tim Duncan. I don't know if the – I mean, one thing, the initial thing I think is, well, the bigger ego won out, you know, <laughs> with Pop. But I don't think – with Pop, it was not – I don't think it's ego. The way he treats uh, players and media alike, I don't think it's ego. I just think he has a, an extremely – he's extremely fair, number one. He treats everyone the same, number two. And he instills confidence in his players at a level that uh, is unheard of. I mean, for a coach who just really started out as your head coach for the team to go to bat for him like that, that doesn't happen a lot. But with Pop, whether you're Tim Duncan or Sean Elliott or whether you're Will Perdue or, you know, some guy at the very end of the bench, you're going to get the same treatment from him. And if you miss a defensive play, he doesn't let it go because you're David Robinson. He jumps on you about it, <laughs> you know. <laughs> uh, and I think one of the most telling things, you hear Pop say this, but unless you – there are, there are sort of catchphrases that coaches like to use that you hear and you, maybe you don't think about it. But if you've been there, you really understand what the phrase is. And Pop often says of Tim Duncan that he allowed me to coach. And here's what that means. When Duncan missed an assignment or made a bad pass or made a bad play or caused the team to lose a game, it, occasionally that did happen, Pop would jump all over him, profanity, screaming, yelling in the locker room. I mean, just come completely unglued. And Duncan would take it, yes, sir, acknowledge that he made 
the mistake in question, because Pop wouldn't accuse you of making a mistake you didn't make. There's that fairness. And he would move on. And Pop says Duncan allowed him to coach. Many superstars we've seen over the years will cost, I mean, LeBron has certainly done this, will cost a head coach a job because they don't like the way they talk to somebody. Um, I don't know about what Frank Vogel's going through with the Lakers right now. I know LeBron has matured since the idiot that I got to know early in his career. But LeBron was not someone who took criticism. You kind of walked eggshells around him and jumped on somebody else. Pop never did that, has never done, will never. It's just not his DNA. He will jump on you or someone else, whoever it is that deserves to be jumped on will get jumped on, and they'll get jumped on in the exact same way as everybody else, and it's completely fair. And if you're able to understand that and take that criticism to heart, it will make you a better player, and it will, your team will win. And that, I think, is at the core when you talk about the different egos. Uh, I think that balance, I say fair and balanced, but when you normally hear that phrase, it's about something that is neither fair nor balanced. But in this case, Popovich is balanced and fair. He treats everyone the same. And if you bring it, you take his criticism, his correction to heart, and you bring it every night, the results speak for themselves. And I think that's what that team saw was, man, with this guy, we have a chance to really do something special, the culture that he's creating. Usually after a team wins a championship like the Spurs did in 1999, they, they still have success, especially in the playoffs over the next couple of years. And then usually the wear and tear of all the relationships sort of uh, take its toll and teams <laughs> sort of break apart and coaches move on. And then four years after their first championship in 2003, as we broke down in our archives, check it out now in Hardwood Huddle on Back Sports page. You can listen to the Nets Spurs episode we did. But the Spurs beat the Nets uh, in the NBA Finals, and the Spurs gained their second championship. Two questions about this here, as far as Popovich is concerned. One, did this solidify him as one of the upper echelon coaches? Not that he already wasn't one already, but this win in this NBA championship, did this solidify him? As one of the main, as one of the big big name coaches in the NBA, and two, did this also? What what how how rephrase the question? How was Pop able to adjust his style from the championship in 1999 to the championship in 2003? Well, I mean, you had a couple of things going on, uh, and this is what makes it so impressive. You had the retirements of key guys from the 99 championship, um, Avery Johnson, Sean Elliott, you know, David Robinson, guys were not there. And so what you have, they had to replace, obviously, those guys with younger players. So they had drafted Manu. They had drafted Tony Parker, Manu Ginobili. And those guys immediately became great players. I mean, Tony Parker was the 30th pick in the draft. And you tell me he's going to be a, a Hall of Famer. Uh, <laughs> and that, you can count on one hand the number of times that has happened in the entire history of the league. But that is what Popovich brings you. Uh, you know, he took a team that should have transitioned. They should have gone through some losing. 
every other team has done this. And granted, no, nobody's overlooking the fact that they didn't have to lose to get Tim Duncan. They lost one year because of an injury and got Tim Duncan. So that, not to overlook that. But retirements, a whole different generation of players <clears throat> all got up to speed so quickly. And Duncan was a part of that. But Popovich was the mastermind uh, that made that happen. And I think witnessing that, instead of what we're used to, which is, you know, Stockton and Malone retired. How long was it before they were relevant again, the Utah Jazz? When Akeem retired, Drexler retired. The Rockets were bad for a long time, you know, normally, and the Knicks. How hor- I mean, they're the poster child for this. It's not easy to recover from the retirement of iconic players on, on a championship team and rebuild and get back to that level. It is extremely difficult. And Pop was able to do it, like, in an offseason. Yeah, and that's the amazing thing, too. And one of the things that uh, over around this time that changed in the league was during the end of the first quarter and during the end of the fourth – right in the beginning of the fourth quarter, they talked with the visiting coach and the, head, and the home coach. The home coach at the beginning of the fourth quarter, the visiting coach at the end of the yeah. first quarter. Uh, <laughs> and – it's everybody's favorite part of the game, game. right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> only when it was the Spurs. Uh, but, you know, at that point in time, you had, um, you know, you had Pop, who just hated this idea. And he, I, from what I understand, all the coaches complained, but he was the one who was just like, I'm supposed to stop doing my job because you want me to talk to somebody? And Pop pretty yeah. much, <laughs> you know, poor Craig Sager, you know, rest his soul. <laughs> he took – he took, and he loved Craig, and he loved doing it to Craig. And the problem is Pop has always oh, had yeah. that demeanor, that, that mean demeanor on him. That, oh, God, well, like he would just torture. He does. And I've been tortured, yeah. not as bad as other people have, but everybody has. Pop will get you sooner or later. You're going to ask a question, completely innocuous question, and he's going to just nail you. It's just going to happen. And everybody, when it happens in a in a in a huddle, of, you know the the scrum, media scrum, everybody understands, and and you sort of get the pat on the back that oh, it was your turn tonight, you know, <laughs> uh, you know when that happens. <laughs> but ultimately, Pop, this is what I believe, and it's very hard. Many of the coaches in the league I had had just really sat down and and really gotten to know guys like. Rick Carlisle and Avery Johnson and, and Don Nelson and, you know, many, George Carl, lots of guys, uh, Frank Vogel, because you can just kind of sit and chat with them, you know, and, and especially when you see them all the time and they get comfortable with you and they know you're not going to burn them. So you can have conversations, but pop, I never did have (laughs) uh, that with. So I'm not saying this out of inside information or something, but what I believe about Pop is that he doesn't have patience for stupid questions. And you know as well as I do, Randy, there are a lot there are a lot of people that ask a lot of stupid questions. Classic example is hey Pop, you're down ten after the first quarter. What do you need to do better in the second? And Pop's answer will be we need to outscore the other team, and they'll turn around and walk away, right? It's a stupid, inane, asinine question. It's a horrible question. <laughs> the only possible answers are completely obvious. 
based on what happened. You either need, well, we turned the ball over five times. We got to not do that. Or we shot 20% from the field. We got to not do that. Or we allowed 15 layups. Whatever. It's obvious. You don't need a head coach. That's why the guy on the sideline is sitting there going, yeah, the Spurs committed seven turnovers in the first quarter. That's not, you don't need the coach to do that. Nor do you need a coach level insight into the situation <laughs> if one team shoots 56% and one team, one team shoots 34% and there's a 10-point difference. And you don't need a head coach to be like, well, from my coaching experience and analytic ability, no, it's, it's painfully obvious. And when you ask Pop a painfully obvious question, he treats you like you just asked me a painfully obvious question. Uh, and I, one of my all-time favorite pop stories was I was covering a – I would go to Charlotte periodically because my parents lived there. So I could go, and I'd look for a home stretch when the Mavs were on the road and I needed to go somewhere else, and maybe Charlotte, the Bobcats at the time, maybe they were home for two or three games. And I'd go and get all my expenses paid go, and I'd get to see family while I was there. But one of the games happened to be the Spurs. so. um I'm up there waiting after the game, and it's me and just one other guy. I mean, the, the AP guy is the only other guy there because nobody cared about the Bobcats. I don't think they care too much about the Hornets either. But Pop walks out of the locker room, and he kind of looks at me and does a double take, and he says, Bill, what, you came an awful long way to see me. <laughs> I said, well, you may be surprised that I came to see Charlotte. You know, you just happened to be here. You know, some pleasantries uh, that were nice. And But then the, the AP reporter, of course, I don't care about post-game quotes. But the AP reporter says, Pop, could you explain that last play? Because the game came down to the wire, and Boris Diaw, who was playing for Charlotte at that time, had also played for the Spurs, of course, uh, had made a play that he missed a shot, and it allowed the Spurs to win on a last-second basket by Tim Duncan, a game they should have won by 20, you know. So he says, could you explain that, that last play? And Pop kind of looks at him, and he says, I don't, I don't know what you mean. He said, well, that last play, it looked like a broken play. Could you explain how that went down? And Pop, in his best Popovich way, said, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> and the guy, completely unflappable, I mean, just continued to go forward with the same question. I just want, I would just like you to explain what happened in that last play, the broken play, how that, you know, kind of what transpired there. And finally, Pop goes, what? You want me to be like some auctioneer, like play-by-play kind of guy? So they ran down and they took the shot and they missed the shot. And this is what Pop. This is exactly how he's saying it, like an auctioneer, right? And I'm just trying not to cackle because I feel bad for the guy. But completely unperturbed, the AP guy again says, "Well, no, I mean when X Y Z happened." And then Pop goes, "Well." You know what was supposed to happen is we were supposed to run a screenplay and and, and completely gives him the answer, but the guy had to ask him like five times and endure this onslaught of just cynical sarcasm, oh, like just <laughs> just get buried by Pop, and he continued to ask the question. And I think the reason that Pop gave him a really good answer was he just admired that the guy <laughs> took all his shit and then kept asking, you know. So, but I think overall, Pop, if you ask him a good question, he gives you a good answer. But if you ask him a hanging fruit, bullshit kind of question, he's going to crap all over you. Well, I've, I've only met Pop a couple times, but I did get the ultimate uh, smile and chuckle out of him. 
was one year. <laughs> I, was, I believe it was in 2010. I covered Nick Spurs, and I went to his post-game press conference at the Garden. Uh, the Knicks actually got a win here, and I'm staring at Pop. Like I'm watching Pop, and Pop is looking around. And afterwards, he was done. He looked at me. He goes, "It looked like you were going to say something." I said, "Nope, I know better." And he just sort of, and he smiles and chuckles and gives me a slap <laughs> on the back. And he goes, and he goes, he goes, that was the right answer. <laughs> so, <laughs> but you know, that's pop. He gets it. I, it is. And if like, you know anything about pop uh, off the court, he is a, an, an incredible uh, community guy. He's an incredible, like works tirelessly for charities and with kids and Spurs uh, charitable foundations. And uh, my sister was involved in some of that down in San Antonio for a while. And she said, man, pop is just absolutely the nicest person. And he's really amazing for the, uh, you know, all this that we do very giving of his time. And then I said, that's great. I, I'm so glad to hear that because <laughs> that's not how he comes across. And she says, oh, I know. I see him on TV. He's nothing like that in person. He also took part in these shoes that fit an organization that aims to deliver shoes to more than 200 students at the Gates Elementary School affected by Hurricane Irma and Maria. Popovich is also helping raise funds for JPHRO, a disaster relief program that operates in, uh, in Haiti and various disaster relief organizations in the, in, in the Caribbean. So let's move on a little That's bit. That's what I mean. I mean, he's we'll incredible. Talk. Yeah. Yeah, he's, he's always, been, always had a big heart. And, again, he has fun with the media. He has fun with the broadcasters. That's, you know, it's, it's, it's entertainment for him because at this point he needs something. Um, <laughs> moving on. The, the, two, the 2005, I, we'll cover this one when we get to I know we're going to do, we're, we'll examine this NBA Finals, the 2005 Finals against the Detroit Pistons. Uh, oh, that was, I, oh. I, I think it's one of the few NBA Finals that actually set the league back about 20 years. And, <laughs> <laughs> but Manu Ginobili, oh, my God. Manu was superhuman in that, in that series. If you look back at that series, and you can let me know what you, how you feel about this, because it's the right assumption to make. During that series, it felt like you might see a 58-54 to 54 game going into the third quarter, because I think that's what we had for one or two of the games. But it, this was yeah. like the NBA's <laughs> worst nightmare. It was because it was a non-superstar Detroit Pistons team. Even though Rasheed Wallace had name value at that point in time, you never felt like that was the team that you're looking to build your uh, – you're not, you're not looking to make this your marquee matchup for the NBA Finals. Let's put it that way. That was no. not what they were looking for. So then you had um, – from that point – And both small market teams, NBA by Finals. the way. Yeah, well, Detroit is a, main, is a bigger market, I would think. And I, I would put them in a little bit of a bigger, a bigger shell. But I would they're think, not New that. York, L.A. You know, no, the, they're not. The finals, the league or Boston, the league really wants. I mean, you know, the marketing department 
we used to call it David Stern, really wants at least one marquee <laughs> big, you know. <laughs> no, yeah. And that's why we saw yeah, no, it, it, the uh, Pacers get sacrificed uh, on the altar of small market the year that they lost to uh, Miami. And then Miami played the Spurs. But, yeah, it, it was. It was a nightmare scenario for the NBA, that particular final. What do you remember most about that series, especially for Pop? Obviously, it was one of the few series that we had had since since the pre-Jordan era where series go what series went seven games. Yeah. Well, and I'll, and I'll look back at I look back at it too. I'll go back and look. I think that was the first NBA final series since the Elijah Wan Rockets versus the Knicks. The Knicks going seven games. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, because the Rockets swept Orlando the next year. Yeah, it was usually, yeah, seven games was, you don't always have a game seven. Um, yeah, so but the thing I, I loved that about that one. series, yeah, the thing I love about that series was I grew up watching defense in the NBA. I grew up watching, uh, in Houston, obviously watching the Rockets, watching Olajuwon uh, dominate and for them, you know, knock down, drag out, you know, it was a brutal. The defense in the league was brutal, and I, I enjoyed it because you don't hear coaches say this as much anymore because I'm not sure that it's as true. But that series, much like that Knicks Rocket series, optim- really optimized the expression that every possession matters. Every possession was so critical because – a four or six point lead in that series was like a 12 or 15 point lead in a like Warriors Cavs game, right? Because points were so hard to come by. And it made the strategy, the importance, every possession, every screen had to be just right. Because if you didn't do it exactly right, your team didn't score. And now it was a big deal almost like baseball, like a run in baseball, uh, a field goal almost took on the same uh, importance as as a single run in baseball. It's, it can be very hard to come by. So that was the thing that I just loved about that. You were on the edge of your seat. There was no like, okay, I'm going to go get some snacks. <laughs> you know, there was no, I got to run the restroom. No, you were holding it. Like that was it because you couldn't leave the TV during the game. It was just so – critically important every possession and you don't see many games or series like that and by the way I guess who hit one of the big shots in that series yeah of course <laughs> but the biggest <laughs> shot of course Robert Ory we've already mentioned Robert Ory yeah but the biggest yes, shot was man the play that he made where he got from the three-point line to the rim in like uh, an eighth of a second or something <laughs> like that's one of the plays. There are certain plays that you remember forever. Ralph Sampson with the catch and the reverse prayer that goes in for Houston to beat the Lakers. Uh, Robert Ory a whole bunch of times. Um, you know, Mario Ellie's kiss of death to the Phoenix Suns, the Clutch City uh, series for the Rockets. A lot, of, a lot of iconic moments. And for me, that managed yeah. nobly play. Tim Duncan was named finals MVP and, and hey I mean argue, no, no way to argue that but when Manu made that play I thought you should 
that was really the play of the series. Oh God, yeah, yeah. And, and what I loved about that series, it was it was pure excitement, even though <laughs> even though it was it set, it set the league back about forty years. Um, I thought I thought it was just very. I thought it was Pop's defining championship. There's a lot of people who will say the, the Miami one was the defining one. Um, I, but I think that series against Detroit, because there wasn't many coaches who were going to be able he, – he joined the league company by getting that third championship. Yeah. And Oh, he totally did. I, and I also yeah. – and then when we're moving on to the 2014 finals, although the 2007 finals, when they, when they swept the Cleveland Cavaliers – I look at that series as men playing with boys. It was LeBron and a bunch yeah. of guys who had no business being on the court against the Spurs. <laughs> and I consider that to be Tony Parker's coming out party, by the way. Tony Parker had some it great was... moments up to that point in the NBA, but he dominated the Cavaliers. Yeah, I, I would add, too, that the Pacers were an incredibly good team that year and Miami had to beat them and honestly Miami should not have beaten them but when again NBA is a business when in 2014 you're talking the about. is that what it was 2014 it was yeah the 2014 when San Antonio finals But it was when yeah, Indiana and yeah, Cleveland, or Indiana and Miami played in the Eastern Conference Finals. Didn't, and they, didn't they do that two straight years? They did, yeah. Yeah. But okay. the year Indiana had them on the ropes, and in the final game, my sister was real excited. My sister from San Antonio, because she's like, "We're going to see the Spurs play Indiana. It's going to be exciting to see those teams match up." I said, "You're not going to see that." She's like, "What do you mean?" <laughs> Because the league's not going to let that happen. An Indiana-San Antonio finals is a finals that's watched by two markets. Indiana and San Antonio. Nobody else cares, you know. they got to have LeBron because everybody will watch to see LeBron. And that's what happened. You saw all oh, silly fouls called on Paul. Paul George freaking owned LeBron. And they just set him on the bench. They kept putting, They kept tagging him with fouls. Uh, you know that's that engineering, but that helped that helped Miami get there, and they really they really shouldn't have. The, the Indiana team was bigger, tougher, uh, more experienced. Let me ask you about this too: the championship where they did defeat the Miami Heat. The first one, obviously, you know what happened, and Pop. Uh, I never saw Pop angrier. After losing, that, <laughs> oh yeah, oh the, my God, the two thousand that Tony Parker call, finals. yeah, that oh, the, and then not only that, but I myself like, was screaming at the he, TV, you know. <laughs> well, like like everybody else, as soon as Bosch hit the ball out to uh, Ray Allen, and Ray Allen hit that three in Game Six, I, I think we all sat there and just went, "Yep, Ray's not missing that shot." <laughs> yeah, just like Robert Ory. Like, nope, super, that shot's going yeah. down. Don't even have to watch. <laughs> super slow motion. You're sitting there. If you if you're not a fan of the Heat, you're seeing that show go up and you're just going, no! Yeah. Oh crap! 
<laughs> I see Bob Hill from the Western Conference Finals between the Rockets and the Spurs, where Olajuwon is just on fire. David had been named MVP, and Akeem just torsing at 50-something points. And he's about to shoot from three. And Bob Hill is behind Akeem, waving a towel, screaming, No, don't let him shoot! And Akeem drills a three. Uh, yeah, I'll tell you what, when that it's when a- that call was made, where it was a breakaway for the Spurs and Tony Parker was at like mid-court, and they're blowing the whistle about something that happened, like, <laughs> and not allowing the wide-open game-winning, you know, and that's where Pop lost his mind. I was like, you want to fuel the the conspiracy theory that the NBA is rigged? Keep making calls like that. That was ridiculous. Well, and not only that, but that series, I think, lit a fire under Pop to the point where he was so angry with the NBA. If you remember, the Heat and the Spurs were getting ready to have a rematch on TNT the following season, and Pop Pop not only benched his starters for the game, he t- he put them on yep. a plane and sent them home. And he sure <laughs> did. <laughs> I was dying when I heard that. And I and actually, yep. I sent the tweet out. I sent the tweet out, and it actually got on TNT, which I was laughing about. <laughs> Where I tweeted out, I tweeted out, I'm like, you don't have to tell Popovich that, this, that the NBA season is a marathon, not a sprint. If you want to know, just ask the Spurs travel department. <laughs> That's right. Oh. They find him, uh, yeah. the NBA, David Stern, fined Popovich $250,000 for that. And they created a rule that said you can't. There's now rules about when you can bench players and, and rest players, uh, and you can and you can be, be fined. And the Spurs have paid many fines because of that rule in the intervening years. But that was a total <laughs> – that was Greg Popovich that was great. holding up his hand and reeling up the middle finger to David Stern because that is exactly right. He <laughs> he was waiting for his opportunity to do that. You bet. And it was great. And, and it was absolutely great because I, I got to tell you, that finals, if you were not a LeBron James or Miami Heat fan during the 2013 NBA finals, that, that series pissed you off. Because you're sitting there yep. going, man, they they had him, they had him, and they had it taken away, yep. and you're just going. Ugh. And after they lost Game Six of that series, I'm like, it's gonna be really hard for them to win Game Seven at home. And one thing that I said about that series, and LeBron got a lot of praise for how well he played. When when it was really crunch time, he did not play well. No. He played no, well he up until that was the before. last seven or eight minutes. Yeah. He's right in the clutch now, but he was not. He was not always great in the clutch. There was a no, long time think, where look, look. he wasn't even top ten of who do you want to have the ball in the clutch. <laughs> now, who do you no, want passing to an open guy in the clutch? Maybe LeBron, but <laughs> he was not the guy. No, and the one thing I've always said about LeBron uh, I think him leaving Miami and going back to Cleveland made him such a mature player. And I think his development as a leader, strictly the credit goes to Akeem, as you told in this show, and yeah. Dwayne Wade. 
Yeah, Akeem gave him that rude awakening. Yeah. Yeah, and then uh, for Pop, from the Spurs' perspective of it, man, that 2014 Spurs team, man, did they did they play with a chip on their shoulder the whole year? And when they got back to the NBA Finals, they destroyed the Miami Heat. And Miami started looking old, just like yeah. a lot of those other teams. Just like a lot of those other teams, just like that Lakers team. When they lost to the Spurs in 2003 in the second round, you looked at the Lakers and they just looked exhausted. That Miami Heat team they looked did. like they got beat up. And that's, I think that's the perfect comparison. You saw LeBron, Wade, and Bosch on the bench. And LeBron saw the Miami situation turning into a, I have a feeling that I might be carrying this franchise if I stick around. And I don't want to do that. That's right. And hey, so don't, and I'm not a LeBron fan. Anybody who's followed my writing or heard us or me on the radio all all years, I, I'm the last person to be a fan of LeBron James. But I will say this. When he went back to Cleveland after the way he left Cleveland, <laughs> that, that was a serious, like, he had to have had Cajon a very him. tough internal dialogue because he had to admit in essence he had to admit that he was wrong he had to go back and really eat crow to an owner and a fan base that deplored him they were burning his jersey in the parking lot (laughs) you know (laughs) i love that and i think that was a turning point hey you had to he finally he took ownership right and I, I give him full, hey, full full marks for that. Full, all due respect. I mean, that that was a heck of a thing. And then to lead that team, a uh, different conversation, obviously. But that was a heck of a move. Heck of a move. Yeah. And then and then after this, after this finals, Popovich uh, and the Spurs still battled. Obviously, Duncan retired. Parker moved on for a year in Charlotte, and then he moved on. You look at the success that Popovich has had over the years, and he's still sustaining, and they haven't missed the playoffs since he got there. What do you think his legacy is, and does he deserve credit as far as being a coach that doesn't have a system? He, he comes up with a system for the talent that he has. Yeah, well, and you really see that in the – fact that they went from being a very very dominant defensive team to being a team that played more on their offense right they centered more on their offense because he recognized that his players were older and they couldn't take the pounding of being the dominant defensive so yeah i think i think pop gets full credit for that i think that you look at that and you go this if he needed another like a the icing on the cake of his legacy that was the icing right there i mean that was <laughs> to be able to to completely turn it over like that was just ama- i mean it was just incredible it really was can you talk about pop's patience with today's nba because it's certainly not the same it was years ago where you, you can look at it and say look these young kids now they're not interested in as much as playing hard-nosed defense. This is a team. These guys are more worried about their brand than they are about winning games, whereas Pop, is, Pop again, they were 
a couple shots away from knocking off the number two seed in the first round last year. Yeah. <laughs> I would, I mean, I'd go to battle, even though the current addition of the Spurs are, are they're clearly flawed. I mean, you don't, you don't have, you get Lamarcus Aldridge and you think, great, you've replaced Duncan. But to me, that was kind of like when the, the Rockets got Dwight Howard and everybody was saying, oh, it's like when we had Akeem. Well, either you haven't watched Akeem play or you haven't watched Dwight Howard play. Because <laughs> Dwight will put up that's nice like, numbers, but he's not. He's not Olajuwon. That's in there going. And Aldridge will put up. That's in there. <laughs> that's a great comparison. I'm sorry. I'm laughing because it was so funny. <laughs> yeah. Aldridge, and I tell people that, and then they're like, oh, you're crazy. I'm like, nope, I've just spent a lot of time around both those guys. <laughs> just wait, just wait. Yeah. And then they wanted to run Dwight out on a rail. But that is kind of the comparison. LaMarcus is not a knucklehead like Dwight, but LaMarcus just – there is a motor involved with the killer Tim Duncan, Michael Jordan, Larry Bird, Magic, you know – LeBron now, uh, there is Steph Curry, sometimes KD, a lot of times KD. Um, there's something within them that they want when they they want the ball in key situations, and when they have it, they deliver. They it's a it's a you can't coach it, you can't teach it, you can't instill it. It's either they're either born with it or they're not. And Lamarcus was not. He just wasn't. He was in Portland to to uh, comp, compliment Brandon Roy, and he did that well. When when Brandon Roy was at the top of his game, then that was great. But when Brandon started to decline, we saw Lamarcus struggle to be that guy. Chris Bosh, same way. Chris Bosh was never the guy. Put up great no, numbers, definitely not. But he wasn't the guy. And so the Spurs, the challenge they have, and it makes it all the more impressive that they're, you know, still as good as they are, they don't have the guy. The Rosen's not the guy. They should have the guy. If life was fair, <laughs> Kawhi Leonard would have never left. We still don't really understand what happened there exactly. But they drafted and developed a guy, another one. Think, if he's still in San Antonio, did they, they probably have another championship. Yeah, but agreed. you know the Spurs currently. You know, if they make the playoffs this year, this is number twenty-three, right? This would be the twenty-third straight year. I think, and more. no coach has ever done that. He passed yeah, Jerry no, Sloan it's, it's, last it's, year by making the playoffs. Is this twenty-four this year? Ninety-eight. So. Yeah, number twenty-four. Yeah, no. Yeah, twenty. Ninety. 1997-98. So this will be number 22. Okay, so this is the year. If they make the playoffs this year, it'll be 23, right? And he'll pass. Yep. He's passed Jerry Sloan, but he'll be – he's tied Jerry Sloan. He'll pass him and be the longest tenured coach in any sport ever to make the playoffs. And, you know, I think there's there, there's room to question whether they can make the playoffs this year. But when Steph Curry goes down with a hand injury and is going to miss three months, all of a sudden it really looks very, very likely that there's not a team to challenge yeah. San Antonio for at least the eighth spot. 
but a pop team is probably going to be in the six or seven. <laughs> you know, that's just yeah, it's the culture he's created. I see them even being a five seed. They could be a five seed. I'm telling you right now, do not be surprised if they're they knocking could be. on the, I mean, the home court. We don't want to look at the October stats too much, but DeRozan has come out with that chip on his shoulder. I mean, he looked really, really good. If only Aldridge would look that good. <laughs> their last game, their first loss. And he, it's like he didn't play. I mean, he was a total ghost in the lineup. But, I mean, that that to me, to watch his teams reinvent themselves over and over, players retire, young players come in, they're back in the championship. I mean, style of play changes, all the things that Pop has done. No coach ever in any sport ever has been able to pull that off. Nope. Nope. Him him and Bill Belichick are in very rare feats with each other. The mm-hmm. the legacies that they're leaving in their in their individual sports. Uh, on a quick side note, I did see a great cartoon after Steph went down and it was a it was a big hotel called the playoffs and it had eight floors and there's a big sign with Steph Curry walk out saying vacancy on it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's gonna be so, brutal. Yeah. I mean, can you imagine? He's gonna miss yeah. three months. What is their record going to be? They're they're going to beat Sacramento. How many times do they play Sacramento in the next three months? They're going <laughs> to get killed. Like all, yeah, well, you know what it is too. It's it's like what happened with San Antonio. What happens with every great team? Sometimes it comes around. The West is stacked, and there's a couple teams I look at it. They're going to be fun to watch, like like a Houston Rocket team that they're, they're going to be very fun yeah. to watch. But as far as making noise in the playoffs, eh, nah. Their they'll second be, round out. They'll be a little dis, yeah. They'll be a little disruptive in the, uh, in the playoffs. But that's another subject for another time. Bill, I think we did pop proud, don't you? Well, he would never admit it, but I, I believe that people who love Greg Popovich or just fans of the NBA that are not pigeonholed in, in one team that can fairly look at uh, different situations, which is where you and I sit at this point in our lives and careers. Uh, you can't. I think we have given credit where it is absolutely due. Greatest history, greatest coach in the history of the NBA, and perhaps the greatest coach ever in sports, perhaps. And we'll, we'll continue to dive in and do more with, uh, with the legends of the NBA hardwood huddle, myself and Bill Ingram. We'll, we'll, keep, uh, we'll keep it up next week for you guys. My name is Randy Zellia. I'm, and, and that's Bill Ingram over there. He is the, uh, the master of the force. And he, uh, <laughs> he, can, he can be found on Twitter at the rocket guy and all of his work at backsportspage.com. I'm Randy BSP on both Instagram and Twitter. Uh, hey, Bill, we did another one and let's uh, do it again next week. Shall we? Sounds like a plan, my friend. All right. We'll see you next week. Absolutely. Wouldn't miss it. <laughs> you got it.